Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. In the science revolution this week, find out why biodiversity matters and what happens when we lose it. Margaret Butler from the Extinction Rebellion is here about the activists fighting against oil trains and what happened to them. Big legal problem. Dr. David Reichmuth also joins me on the impact of electric cars. And find out why people are adding mushrooms to their coffee. Biodiversity is the essential product of evolution. As there are ecological niches, there are places in the deep sea where life could survive and life adapts itself to the deep sea. There are places on high mountains where life can survive and life adapts itself to rarefied air. All these different environments all around the world and pretty much every place, life figures out a way to survive and to grow. And biodiversity provides many benefits to us as humans. For one thing, it provides resilience to the system, to the living systems that support us. It it provides resilience to our agricultural systems, to the systems that clean our air, which is mostly our trees, to the systems that clean our water with trees and soil and plants rooted in the soil. Biodiversity is really essential to having a functioning planet. It's sort of like your body. You know, you've got all these different organs in your body and they all do different things. And you can live without one kidney, but you can't live without both. If you took out a kidney and half your liver and maybe you could make it, but as you start decreasing the components of a complex system like a human body, you start decreasing its ability to survive. And as we are decreasing biodiversity, as we're killing off species, there's a million plant and animal species that have been identified now by scientists that are at risk of going extinct within the next few decades. And if that happens, that loss of biodiversity simplifies the world's ecosystem in a way that weakens it, that makes it more fragile, just like if you were to start losing parts of your body. So a group of 23 ex-ministers from six different continents, this was founded by Madeleine Albright, the former U.S. Secretary of State, has come together and proposed that we should set aside 30% of the planet's land mass And governments should help fund this because a lot of this is going to be actually in poor countries where there are still jungles and savannas and forests and things that have not been stripped out and replaced by development. That 30% of the world's landmass and 30% of the oceans should be set aside as sanctuaries to preserve biodiversity. This is solid stuff. And it's very, very real. And it's so important. To give you an example of the importance of biodiversity... The new study out, this is from Oregon State University, researchers at Oregon State University, they found that bears in southeast Alaska play a crucial role in keeping the biodiversity of the forest going by eating berry seeds and then 
pooping out the berry seeds as they're wandering around the forest, and then the small rodents mine the bear's butt berries, it says in the article, for actual berry seeds, which they then bury in the ground to later snack on. This is an article by Drew Millard. I believe I shared this story with you a couple of years ago that in the Pacific Northwest, they found that there were some of the rivers, when the rivers were dammed and the salmon stopped running, that certain kinds of trees were dying and the forests were becoming sick and nobody could figure out why. Why is that? What is it these trees need? Well, it turned out that the bears in these forests had been eating salmon out of the rivers and salmon go from rivers out to the ocean and back. And so salmon are actually fairly high in iodine from saltwater. And that iodine got into the bears by eating the salmon and then the bears pooped the iodine into the forest and some of these kinds of trees actually needed the iodine. It was an essential nutrient. And so here you've got life cycling. This is all really important stuff. And thus, if you start losing the bears, you're going to start losing the plant biodiversity because you're not going to have the principal spreader of seeds for berries going on anymore. And you're going to start seeing berries start dying off in the forest. And they're an important part of ground cover. And because many of them have thorns, they're also an important habitat for small rodents, for chipmunks and mice, and and for small birds that actually literally have their young, scrub jays, for example, and, and some kinds of sparrows, actually raise their young inside these berry bushes because the predators can't get to them because of the thorns. And so if you get rid of the bears, all that other stuff goes away. And now you've got, you know, Senator Lisa Murkowski in Alaska and the Trump administration trying to open up the Songus National Forest to the logging industry, which is going to knock out the bears. There's another article. This is from MNN.com. Five reasons biodiversity is a big deal. And they cover all the ones that I've already talked about. But the fifth one, I think, is just extraordinary. And that is the final point that I would make about biodiversity is... Biodiversity produces awe. You know, it's a spiritual component. There have been some really good studies done that find that when people are in hospital rooms that have a window that looks out on greenery, on forest land, that those people heal faster than people who are in hospital rooms that have no window. That people who go into nature every day Every day, Louise and I walk for a mile or so, and we walk you know, along the Columbia River and, and just see all this beautiful stuff, all this nature. It is so healing that people who have daily contact with nature have less depression, less anxiety, lower blood pressure. I mean, there's just this whole collection of positive physical attributes. But I would say that the spiritual attribute is really also very, very important. When I see a bird that's uncommon or when I see a butterfly that I haven't seen before and and they're all vanishing like crazy, you know, you look at that and go, wow, this is the diversity of life on this planet. It's awe, wonder. This is an important thing for us to experience. It feeds us spiritually, emotionally at our deepest levels. These are all good, solid reasons, the beauty of nature to maintain biodiversity and why biodiversity is such a big deal that we need to be paying attention to this and taking seriously this call from Madeleine Albright and her group to set aside 30% of the planet's land mass and 30% of the ocean. No ships, no development to be sinks for biodiversity, places where the planet can retain its biodiversity. If we don't, we're going to be living in a very, very, very poor world. 
on the line with us is Margaret Butler. Now, you may have heard of the Extinction Rebellion. I'm going to ask Margaret to tell us a little bit more about it. But she is going, along with four other people, is going on trial in court in Portland Monday morning for an action that the Extinction Rebellion in Portland took that I think you really need to know about and, you know, also larger issues here. The website is XRPDX, as in Extinction Rebellion Portland, XRPDX.org. And that's also the Twitter handle. It's XR underscore PDX. They're going on trial here on, on Monday. So, Margaret, welcome to the program. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for having me on. Could you start out by telling us what is Extinction Rebellion, where did it come from, and how did the Portland chapter come about? Extinction Rebellion started in Britain in 2018. It burst into public in 2018 when thousands of activists shut down all the bridges in London. And I read about it, and I was really excited that People were saying, this is an emergency. We have to deal with the climate crisis right now. And since that initial action, it's spread across the globe. And the demands of Extinction Rebellion are very simple, that the government must tell the truth about the climate and wider ecological emergency, that the government must enact legally binding policies to reduce carbon emissions to net zero by 2025. And we demand a citizens' assembly because we don't trust the government to make the bold, swift, long-term changes necessary to get us out of this emergency we're in. And in the U.S., we have a fourth demand, which is a just transition that prioritizes the most vulnerable people and indigenous sovereignty and sets up reparations and centers indigenous people, people of color, and poor communities. So what is it that you and your four compatriots with Portland's local branch of Extinction Rebellion, XRPDX.org, what is it that you did that ended you up in jail and now in court? And this is Multnomah County Courthouse. This is a local charge? That's right. We actually took two actions that launched the Extinction Rebellion chapter here. On April 20th, Easter Sunday morning, 11 of us brought a dump truck load of topsoil and dumped it on the rail yard and railroad tracks at Zenith Energy Corporation. And we built a victory over climate change garden and brought a tiny house and a scarecrow And we told the city that we were rezoning the area from industrial park to open space. And we invited the city to join us in this. And the reason we took that action and then came back a week later and did it again is because the city has a policy since 2015 of no new fossil fuel infrastructure. But Zenith, by using an old construction permit owned by the company that was on the space before they were, has gone ahead to move from processing 12 oil train cars at a time to 44. And that hit the news in February of last year. And people in Portland are outraged about it. 
So by putting the dirt on the tracks, did you, you shut down the trains? You, this was actually a yes. violation of commerce, as it were? We blocked the trains. Of course, you were arrested. I think the principal charge against you is criminal trespass, and that's not a small thing. You can go to prison for that. What sort of penalties are you facing, and what sort of a defense are you going to make? I understand you're making an affirmative defense that goes that is not, we didn't do it. So tell us about That's that. That's right. That's right. We are making what's known as the necessity defense. We're saying that, and there's a lot of law that says if there is an emergency with imminent harm happening, you can take action to address that emergency and imminent harm, even if it's breaking a law to do so. And that would be most often used in cases like, you know, a husband driving his pregnant wife who's having contractions to the doctor and speeding, from that up to much larger scale things. But how often has that necessity defense been successful and in what kinds of cases, do you know? It has been successful in a number of cases. There was a case around nuclear weapons and one around South African protest. In the climate movement, we've had one of the valve turners had a court rule that they should have been allowed to use the necessity defense and then had the charges dropped against him. And then our own... You said one of the valve turners? What's that? Yeah. There were, I think, five or six people who coordinated peaceful direct action turned off the valves, turned off all the flow of Alberta tar sands oil into the United States at the same time. Mm. They broke in and turned off the valves. And so the one who did it in Minnesota and went to trial in Minnesota had his charges dropped after a court said he should have been allowed to use the necessity defense. Ken Ward, who's going to trial with us, his case went up to an appeals court. The appeals court said the trial judge should have allowed him to use the necessity defense, and he's going back to trial again in May on that. To what extent will the judgment of this Multnomah County Court be appealable? If this goes against you, where do you take it? What do you do next? And also, how can people support you? I assume that it would be appealable, whether the prosecutors would decide to do that or not, I don't know. And the way people can support us, they can come to the Multnomah County Courthouse and watch the trial. The other way is, of course, to get involved in Extinction Rebellion direct action, because we don't have a lot of time. Yeah. XRPDX.org is the Portland Extinction Rebellion. What's the general website for Extinction Rebellion overall, Margaret? It's XRUS. XRUS.org. Cool. Margaret Butler, an activist with Extinction Rebellion Portland. Good luck, Margaret. Keep us up to date. Sponsoring the interview this week is New Leaf Natural CBD Oil. Boy, with all this impeachment stuff and Trump treason flying around, you know... I have been doubling my CBD oil dose. I love CBD oil. It doesn't get you high, but it, and it's non-toxic, but it's a potent pain reliever and anti, or it has potent pain relieving and anti-inflammatory properties. I think is the proper way to say that. And the brand I trust the most is New Leaf Naturals. 
NU Leaf Natural CBD oil is the highest quality CBD oil on the market. It's 100% organic, highly concentrated, has no additional additives, grown in the USA, and the only ingredient is hemp, so the product remains in its most pure and simple form. Go to newleafnaturals.com. That's NUleafnaturals.com and save 30% off and get free shipping in the U.S. when you use the code TOM. It's spelled T-H-O-M. Go to NUleafnaturals.com. For premium cannabinoid wellness, there's only one place, NUleafnaturals.com. That's NUleafnaturals.com. That's NUleafnaturals.com. Code TOM. It's spelled T-H-O-M. NUleafnaturals.com. On the line with us is Dr. David Reichmuth, a senior engineer with the Union of Concerned Scientists in the Clean Vehicles Program, UCSUSA.org is their website. His Twitter handle is dr underscore dave510. And uh, Dr. Reichmuth, welcome to the program. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Tom. Thanks for joining us. You wrote this great op-ed asking the question, are electric vehicles really better for the climate? Yes, here's why. Tell us the science behind this. Why is it better? A lot of our electricity is generated with coal and oil and natural gas. I live in Portland, Oregon. The electricity we get comes from the Bonneville Dam, and my car is mostly electric. I've got one of those plug-in hybrids, you know, the Toyota. That So I've bought, I think, one tank of gas in the last year because I can get 30 miles on a charge, which is pretty much anywhere in Portland and back home. But how is it Generally speaking, across the United States, how is it that buying and driving an electric car is better for our environment than driving a gas-powered vehicle? This is something that I get asked a lot is, is it really cleaner? Because we know that a purely electric vehicle has no tailpipe, so there's no CO2 emissions coming from the tailpipe. That's obvious. But we do know that we do get some of our power from coal, from natural gas. And so how does it work out when you consider all those factors? And so what we did is we looked at all of the emissions from using a gasoline vehicle. So that means, of course, burning the gasoline, but also looking at the emissions from trucking the gasoline to the service station, refining, extracting, and transporting crude oil, and bringing it to the refinery. And then we did that same analysis for the electric vehicle. So how much CO2 emissions come from mining and extracting natural gas and coal from burning it in power plants and delivering it to our homes because there's losses in that process as well. So if you do that apples-to-apples comparison of where the global warming emissions are coming from, it turns out the average EV in the U.S. produces emissions equal to an 88-mile-per-gallon gasoline car, so much cleaner than the average gasoline car. That's remarkable. The other thing that I didn't see in your article was the emissions associated with actually manufacturing a car. And obviously this would apply to a gas-powered car as well as an electric vehicle, an EV. The steel in the car has to be mined as iron ore and has to be refined and turned into steel and then fabricated into the car doors and frames and bodies and all the plastic in the car, the seat cushions and things, starts out as oil and making the engine block and all the parts and transporting them around the world. I'm wondering if anybody has ever done the math on how long you would have to own an electric vehicle that's say, on average, three to four times more efficient in terms of not producing carbon dioxide, three or four times less polluting carbon-wise, how long you would have to own and drive that to pay off the cost, the carbon cost of manufacturing it to begin with? Yeah, that's, that's also an excellent question. And we looked at that a couple of years ago. We did a report entitled Cleaner Cars Cradle to Grave, where we looked at just what you were talking about. What are the emissions from making a gasoline car and what are the emissions from making an electric car? 
And what we found was that there are higher emissions from making an electric car than compared to a gasoline car, but mainly in the battery manufacturer. But that initial deficit or debt in emissions is quickly paid off as you use the electric vehicle because of these savings from global warming emissions as you drive on electricity versus gasoline. So it depends on where in the country you are driving your electric vehicle, how quickly you pay back that initial increase in emissions. It's in general about uh, um, one to two years. So as long as you don't buy an electric vehicle and then send it to a junkyard after two years, we should be coming out ahead on global warming emissions. In general, it's about half, even when you include the manufacturing emissions, it's about half the total lifetime emissions for an electric vehicle compared to a comparable gasoline vehicle. Back in 1996, when I was writing uh, Last Hours of Ancient Sunlight, a book about the end of the era of oil and all that sort of thing, I became concerned about basically the carbon cost of manufacturing a car. And I had a Toyota car at the time. And it was a really good car. It was a good, solid car. And because of that research, I kept that car until it had over 100,000 miles on it. And then I gave it to my son, and he drove it for another 40,000 miles. You know, if you just change the oil frequently, the cars will last a long, long time if they're well-built to begin with. Is there a point in time where you have kind of not just, you know, an electric vehicle beats a, a gasoline vehicle in terms of the added or, or pays back rather the added cost of manufacturing because all the stuff we've been talking about. But is there a point in time where carbon cost of simply manufacturing the vehicle starts to be diminishing to the point where it's not of great consequence any longer? How many miles should we try to keep our vehicles for? Or how many years should we try to keep? I guess you gauge it in miles. You know, should we hit for, shoot for 50,000, 100,000, 150,000? I mean, what's optimal or is there any math on that or any science on that? A couple of questions in there. One is sort of how can we make manufacturing of electric vehicles more efficient and, and produce less emissions? And I think that's something mm-hmm. we can and, and are doing. Part of that, as we learn more about battery chemistry and making cheaper, more efficient batteries, also, as we clean up the grid, and as the grid is getting cleaner over time, you know, some of the emissions for battery manufacture come from electricity. So if we make the electric generation sector cleaner, not only do we make driving an electric vehicle cleaner, but we also making an electric vehicle here in the U.S. cleaner as well. On the question of replacing, a lot of times when we're getting rid of a car, a gasoline car, we're selling it into the used market. Oftentimes it's not being junked, so it's still being used. So it's not really causing extra emissions for the manufacturer we're selling that vehicle. We do recommend, I mean, if you can right now switch to a more efficient electric vehicle, that makes sense for the environment. Even if you, you, know, if you have a, a relatively efficient gasoline vehicle, assuming you're selling that and that's going to replace maybe a much older, dirtier gasoline vehicle down the line. This is the first time that I've owned a car that runs as an electric car. I mean, this Toyota plug-in hybrid, it's amazing, the acceleration. It's a wonderful car to drive. And like I said, I've got 6,000 miles on the car. We've owned it almost two years. And I think I've bought, I'm pretty sure I have only bought one tank of gas in literally the last 12 months because it's just so easy to do. Dr. David Reichmuth, he's the senior engineer with the Clean Vehicles Program at the Union of Concerned Scientists, the website ucsusa.org. Thanks for having me. In Geeky Science this week, why are people putting mushrooms in their coffee? Mushrooms have been a popular item in our diet. Now it appears that some people are actually adding them to their coffee or tea. Why? 
Well, it appears the mushrooms have taken their place as a superfood like wheatgrass or kale. According to a new study, mushrooms help fight infections while reducing inflammation. The study showed people who consumed one mushroom a day for a week boosted their immune response, and this immune response stayed elevated a week after they stopped eating them. Also, the four primary micronutrients in mushrooms are vitamin D, selenium, glutathione, and ergothionine. These are all antioxidants, and ergothionine contains an amino acid that people need and can only get from dietary sources. Mushrooms have been used for their medicinal benefits for centuries. You can buy mushroom powder and add it to your diet without much effort, and you can add a scoop to your morning coffee like many others are doing. Your immune system gets a boost as well as your brain while you geek out. In our science fact of the week, an estimated 50,000 species inhabiting our tropical forests become extinct every year. That means in the last 24 hours, we just lost 137 species. That's all for this week's Science Revolution. You can find the video portions of the Science Revolution on YouTube and check out our Facebook page.